because of recent events, I'm going to look at a subject again that I've mentioned, I suppose, in the pulpit recently and that we did a retreat on uh, a couple of years ago. First of all, let me uh, address the, the news that comes out of the Middle East. And this is why it's important to me. It's important to me because God said I should make it important to me. Namely, in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8. I, I read that somewhere in the last sermon or two. It basically says that God... sets the limits and boundaries of all of the nations of the world according to his accounting with Israel. If I understand demographics correctly in these present days, there are in the whole world about 14 million Jews. There are other tribes of Israel that are lost to us, but are, are known to, uh, to the Lord to be exposed, revealed, manifested, or made manifest in the tribulation. God has clearly shown us the march of time as it moves irrevocably toward the fulfillment of his purpose and his plan. Well, all that noise you heard, I didn't do that either. It didn't scare me that bad. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I need a staff in this hand. I guess you'll listen to me now, won't you? <laughs> well, thank you. I understand. Thank you. I have believed for decades because of my personal Bible study that the world would witness an event in close proximity to the rapture of the church. 
that event is what we studied a couple of years ago, the, the, what I call the Ezekiel War. Ezekiel, the prophecy, moves in a chronological fashion when you read it. It starts with where Ezekiel is. It's in the time of their captivity, Israel's, or Judah's captivity in Babylon. Ezekiel was one of the early people taken, a young man. I, I've often referred to him as a seminary student. Took him along with other young people in the early deportation from Judah and they were placed in the encampment that would belong to Judah. People were asking, since Nebuchadnezzar's general had gone into the Holy of Holies and, and had blasphemed God and did things in there that were horrible, then brought out golden vessels and laughed and proclaimed that there was no God. He didn't see a God in there. But Ezekiel tells us that Yahweh took him in the spirit, I suppose, and showed him how Yahweh had exited that temple long before because of the sin of the nation, the sin of the, of the priests, even the high priest, so the presence of Yah was, was not there. The prophet had warned the people that Yahweh would withdraw from them if they continued in sin and did not repent. And he wasn't the first prophet. Of course, before him was Jeremiah. So they went on in their sin for decades, being warned, and finally the time came. And God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. He was God's instrument to displace the Jews, to cause them to lose their land, not to be inhabited again until the time of the end of days. And of course, Israel returned to the land and became a nation in 1948. So Ezekiel moves chronologically the people apparently were turning to him for an answer to how God could let this happen to his temple and his people. They had had this preaching from the prophets for decades and they just ignored, well, you know, we're just, and so then the time came and they said, well, how did this happen? Even though they had been shown for so long that they were sinful, horribly sinful, and had turned on God and was, were worshiping other gods. And so they're in this state of denial and disbelief, even though their consequences have come upon them because of their sin. And so they're saying, how can this be? Ezekiel goes to prayer. He's on an irrigation canal that was as big as a river called Kabar, Kebar. And while he was praying, 
the Merchba, the throne, the mobile throne of the Son of God came from the distance and it looked like an electrical storm. And it got closer and closer and closer. Then he saw that it was borne up by the four cherubim. And he described the glory of it, the colors of it, the jewels of it. And noted that one, the son of man, son of God, was on the throne. And he would give the prophecy to Ezekiel. So it would start at the time contemporaneously when Ezekiel was praying. And Ezekiel was going to receive from the Lord what was happening, what would happen, and why it was all happening this way and how it would end. So you move forward in Ezekiel, just soaring through time to see the prophecies against the enemies of Israel and then those prophecies fulfilled. Moving on and on and on until there's the Valley of Dry Bones, which is a sign, it's, it's a description of a lifeless, spiritually speaking, Israel. They were there together, but they were dead, just a bunch of bones. Ezekiel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said, preach to these bones. And so the spiritually dead nation of Israel began to assemble, it's be assembled. The bones were connected and then there was muscle tissue placed over the bones and then finally skin and there was no life, there was no breath. Preach to the bones, preach to them. Ezekiel preached and then the Spirit of God came into them and they lived. Now that is yet to come. We would be, in my view, perhaps, certainly the bones have been assembled and maybe the muscle tissue is being put onto it and soon the flesh and soon thereafter during the tribulation, the Spirit of God into the nation of Israel In a time when that was in progress, the assembling of the bones and then the re-spiritualization of Israel, God had his prophet prophesy against a particular leader in the world whose name was Gog. Now that's not a proper name and that's not a land. That is, that is a title like Caesar or whatever. That is a title of a, of a national leader, a leader of a, of, a, of a nation. 
The land was the land of Magog, Meshech, and Tubal. Now, there's no doubt since, since the time Ezekiel prophesied all the way through, the people of God have understood that specifically the prophet, God through the prophet, was prophesying against what is the modern land of Russia. Other nations would also be included in a confederation that God Almighty causes to happen, an alliance of nations. Because God said to them, I will put hooks in your jaws. God said, I will. I will put hooks in your jaws and I will draw you against my people Israel in a time when they are at ease in Israel. And so the three major nations, Togamat, which is Turkey, Persia, which is Iran, and Magog, Meshach, and Tubal, which is Russia, and then other smaller nations around geographically that area, in their confederation, God himself, they can't help themselves. God himself would put hooks in their jaws and draw them against the nation of Israel. The invading forces, according to the Bible, were so great, they darkened the sky. That's interesting that Ezekiel, way back in the, what, 7th, 8th century BC, could envision an invading force that could blacken the sky, could go up, ascend. And God would intervene, Israel would be helpless. God would intervene, and according to the King James Version, five out of every six invading soldiers would die. The invading alliance of armies led by Russia and then secondarily by Turkey and Iran would be miserably destroyed by the power of Yahweh. How would that be? I don't know. Horrible lightning strikes, earthquake, I don't, it doesn't go that far. It's just that in a very brief time, in a time when Israel was back as a nation and Israel was surrounded by enemies and all of these things would occur quickly. I mean, the gathering and the, all of these things, it's not the kind of a thing that developed over a long period. It just bang, all of a sudden these three nations who had not been allied like that before, along with the smaller nations, would think, according to Ezekiel, they would think an evil thought. And the evil thought was to invade Israel to take a spoil. 
One of the wealthiest nations in the world right now is Israel. With medical inventions and, and other inventions with regard to military hardware and, and uh, other things, medicine. They would be stopped by the obvious intervention of God. And God would say to Israel, because Israel would still be primarily in a, still be in, in, in a, a state of unbelief. They would still not recognize Christ. And frankly, if you were, go, if you were to go to Israel these days, you would discover that most of them were atheists. It's amazing the, the kind of history they have and that God has preserved them as a race because he said he would. And racially speaking, I suppose 14 million Jews is a rather in the world is a rather insignificant number against certain other groups by race or by ethnicity. Yet they have been preserved, hounded, hated with despots through the years and centuries seeking their destruction, yet never able. Other ethnic groups have been wiped out. You don't see them anymore. But then there's the Jew. And then the great slaughter from Yahweh leaves this invading force of, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of soldiers strewn across the landscape and mountains of Israel. And Israel would begin to bury them. And birds would be summoned to eat their flesh so that the land could be cleansed. And Israel would take the weapons that had been deserted, left over, practically destroyed, whatever. They would take the weapons and use those weapons that were turned against them as fuel, the Bible says. Use them as fuel for seven years. You move right from that event of Ezekiel's war. Now remember, the, the prophecy included Israel using the leftover armaments for fuel. Seven years. But then right after that, the Millennial temple is described. And at the close of it, at the close then of Ezekiel, the millennial temple having been completed, they renamed the city from Jerusalem to what would be interpreted Yahweh is there. The Lord 
is there. There are other prophecies that tell us what occur during the millennial kingdom with the Lord in Jerusalem. The reestablishment of the priesthood of the, of the festive days and other things as a memorial of what the Lord had done, not just for them, but for the world. Because the Lord back in Ezekiel's prophecy would speak of this war and the destruction of the enemies of Israel. And he would say to, a, at that point, an unbelieving Israel, I didn't do this for your sakes. I did this for my holy name's sake. But the world will know that I'm God. Isn't that interesting? We live in a world where people laugh at the thought or concept of God. They laugh at those who preach the existence of God, who struggle with the world that seeks to stamp out a belief in God and to subtract from the world the word of God, the knowledge of God, and we, I think, are entering into the final era where this world will also seek to stamp out the very people of God. But just before, now this is the way I see it, just at the time or close to it, the time of the rapture which signals the final seven years, the tribulation, just then, just then, just as the world will soon enter into the horrible time of the tribulation, just then, the world will have to pay attention that God has said this war and the result of it has occurred so that the world may know that I'm God. It's almost like the war itself was a sermon to the remaining people on the earth. The rapture itself possibly is a sermon to those who are left. As the world plunges into the final seven years before the glorious coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom for a thousand years. Now, the, the heaviness of it, the joy of it, the glory of it for, for believers is simply that if we reflect on the, if we reflect on the events of this, of this, <laughs> Of this, yes, listen to me. If we reflect on the events of the world today, we have to understand that the United States of America has always been there as a buffer for Israel, but not now. So that Russia has had this boldness to bring heavy bombers into Syria just right next to Israel. 
so that Iran and the leaders of these groups that are lobbing rockets into Israel have said on television, we want to thank Iran and the Ayatollah for giving us all that we've been given so that we can destroy Israel. Iran has sworn that they will continue the onslaught. There are still two or three other groups in what Iran calls the ring of fire around Israel that have yet to fire their rockets and to do their thing militarily. Israel has assured the world that they won't hesitate to attack Iran if this thing seeks its conclusion in the destruction of Israel. And we've never lived in a time like that before, like today, never. Now let's take our eyes across the world and the delusion that the world is in, the blatant, unrelenting sin that the world is in, the defiance of God all across the world. I'm beginning to scare myself. I think, I think I'm going to sit down, man. This is too much for me, oh Lord. <laughs> so I think on one hand, we should rejoice that we live in the light and not in the darkness. And on the other hand, we should pray and pray and pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which is for the return of Christ. But for those who perhaps just very soon would be the tribulation saints, they will live in the most difficult times and under the most difficult circumstances that God's people will have ever seen. Awful, horrible. We should pray for those people, whoever they are as well, and for those who have yet to know Christ by faith, that we know who are close to us that God would call them to himself and that they might be saved and join us in a very exciting trip that perhaps is, is, could come tonight or before we leave this place. So pay attention to, uh, and you, you can't, may I say, you're going to have to get on the internet and read a lot of different news articles about this. You're even going to have to read news articles from other nations in the world. You can't really go, go by our news reports here. The things that are happening there are just not reported. So people don't know. Yet the people of God understand. You know, we've been looking at these, chrono uh, these genealogies and I've been saying to you, you know, all of these things were happening in the world and these were the important events of history according to the world, but God was just focused on his people. 
And so the world today won't see the things that are happening in the Middle East right now as, as that important, but God's people will. And this is, this is where, this is where God has written his word, what he's written it about. And while the world is spinning around on all of these social issues and these other things that are crazy, God, his word, and his people are focused on the great work of the sovereign Savior, our Lord God. And that's where we are. So I thought it would be appropriate tonight just to give you, give you a rest from all of these endless genealogies and talk about what all of that has been leading up to, perhaps even at this moment in our lives in history. If not, it's at least closer than it has ever been since Israel was a nation. And it couldn't happen until Israel was regathered as a, a nation of people. So we rejoice, we're happy, and we're also reflective and pensive over the power of God and the reality of his word. I'm going to stop it there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.